Man shoots crossbow and library, then bolts. I'm Kevin Leeson. For sex, see podcaster. I'm Joe Fulgham. Do we need more anti-Semitism in libraries? I'm Torn Atkinson. Find out on today's episode of Caustic Soda. The word origin of library comes from the late 14th century from the Latin librarium as mm-hmm. chest for books. From, chest for books. Yeah, chest. In, in Latin, it was librarium, chest for books. Uh, from liber, meaning book, paper, parchment, which was originally the inner bark of trees. And that's probably a derivative of Proto-Indo-European lubed to strip or peel. Oh, lubed boobs. So I think we chest actually, books. I think we mentioned this before. This is like early porno terminology <laughs> yeah oh chest yeah yeah, yeah well that, you know if you if you're gonna make the first book you're gonna make it a book of boobs right i guess the, so. ba- the, the big book of boobs the big book of boobs, the big yeah, book right. of boobs. Uh, oh yeah it's got those the 3d boobs on the cover yeah okay. now what is the word origin of library library <laughs> yeah dumb people oh what <laughs> people who can't spell mm-hmm. no uh, it's it's about you know uh, a place where they have things that are hard to get you know, they're, uh, it's the rarium. Oh, like... It's, oh. it's open. It's lib. It's libbed. Right. You but know. it's rary. But it's rary. Oh. Mm-hmm. I thought it was the type of berry that you would eat that would make you lie all the time. <laughs> the lie berry. Yeah. The yeah. lie berry. You eat the yeah. berry and then you can... That's, that's like It's a, the opposite of that uh, movie where that guy uh, told the truth all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that, that Jim Carrey guy. <laughs> that's right. That, it's the sequel, Lie Berry. Mm-hmm. Liar, liar too. No, oh, it's a it's a uh, it's a phone that makes you lie, and it uh, it's the library. Uh, oh, the sequel to oh, the BlackBerry. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Nobody wanted it though. Yeah. Uh, Old English actually has the word bookhoard, which literally means book hoard. Oh, oh yeah, okay. okay. I like right. that word. Bibliophobia is fear of books. I believe we mentioned that in our bad books episode, mm-hmm. which you can check out if you want to learn more about bad books. A library is a collection of sources of information and similar resources made accessible to a defined community for reference or borrowing. It provides physical or digital access to material and may be a physical building or room, a virtual space, or both. Right. A library's collection can include, and then here's a list I'm going to try and get through, books, periodicals, newspapers, manuscripts, films, maps, prints, documents, microform, Microfiche. CDs. Right. Uh, it says here microform, microfiche, CDs, cassettes, videotapes, DVDs, Blu-ray discs, e-books, audiobooks, databases, and other formats. Basically, if it could be stored as information in some way, a library will hold on to it right. for you. And if you're playing Magic the Gathering, mm-hmm. your deck is known as your library. That's true. Your deck oh, is your wow. library. Mm. You draw cards from your Nerd library. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. <laughs> yeah. Nerd alert. Okay. Nerd alert. The first libraries consisted of archives of the earliest form of writing, the clay mm. tablets in cuneiform script mm. discovered in temple rooms in Sumer, some dating back to 2600 BC. Okay. So wait, so that that's like the date of written language or that's the date of the first time we collected written language? That's the earliest archives we've been able to find where okay. people have taken the earliest writing, these cuneiform clay tablets that people would write on because they couldn't even figure out papyrus yet. They would just scratch into the clay. Or you know how in the, the Flintstones mm-hmm. they have books that are made of 
Swift Stone pages. Right, yeah. yeah. Just like that. It's, oh, okay. it's a lot like that. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they found collections of these. These archives, which mainly consisted of the records of commercial transactions or inventories, mm, mark of the end of prehistory and the start of history. Yay! Because there so, was no history before that. It's well, true. Really, because history is keeping track, and the libraries and things are where you keep all that keeping track. And of course, together. it's who owes who what. Yeah, it's I like, mean, hey, of course. Uh, dude, yeah. you owe me like, uh, you know, a thousand heads of goats, right? Or whatever kind of currency they used at the time. And the other guy's like, no, man, I paid you the back, that back already. And uh, it was the classic roommate gambit. Hey. And remember, because of sexism, it was his story, not her story. Uh, That's, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, goat heads, they don't grow on trees. They, they grow <laughs> so, on, that is true. They, they grow on goats, and yeah. those take a, a lot more effort to yeah. kind of grow. Uh-huh. You can't just stick a goat in the ground. I'm pretty sure that was the earliest form of currency was goat heads. Goat heads. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Over 30,000 clay tablets from the library of Ashurbanipal have been discovered at Nineveh, uh, providing modern scholars with an amazing wealth of Mesopotamian literary, religious, and administrative work. Hmm. Among the findings were the Enuma Elish, also known as the Epic of Creation, which depicts a traditional Babylonian view of creation. The Epic of Gilgamesh, which I think some of us are fairly uh, familiar yeah, with. I've read that. Uh, a I large... heard about it from Star, Stra- Star Trek. Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. Nerd uh, alert. Nerd alert. <laughs> nerd alert. Nerd alert. Your nerd alert's going to get worn out oh, in this episode, well, I think. I'm, I'm all right. I'm kind of gassed already. A large selection of omen texts, with including Enuma, Anu, and Lil, which contains omens dealing with the moon, its visibility, eclipses, and conjunction with planets and fixed stars, the sun, its corona spots, and eclipses, the weather, namely lightning, th- basically everything that they had finally figured out at that point and about the, how the world worked. They and it also must have contained the Epic wrote, of Damien. The Epic of Damien? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's been censored and hidden away for right. eons. This was it's an all in- for you, Damien. It's all for you. That's what it said right at the top. This was an interesting part of history because uh, in the law, when you said, throw the book at him, Ooh, it was like, that was the punishment <laughs> that was the punishment. for the crime. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Oh, you, you are guilty and we will throw three books at you. <laughs> yeah. Right? For murder. Three stone books. Yeah. <laughs> you may survive, you may not. It's uh, ordained by God whether yeah. or not you survive. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. How big is the guy throwing it? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Well, and how, how much, uh, Which? what do you throw? Do you throw like, you know, what the guy said he owed the other guy? Mm. Right? So it could be like really like a long tablet or whatever. Right. You know, if you like really racked up a bill, oh, if you're about to go to debtor's prison, <laughs> you really racked up a bill. They take your bill, yeah, written on cuneiform tablet, yeah, and they smash you over there with it. That's, <laughs> That's right. your punishment. Uh, I do really like live by the Flintstones. Obviously, yes, I, the Flintstones have been. You did drive your car here with your feet. It's true. It's true. And I should mention where here is actually before I keep going. We are in the Inspiration Lab of the Vancouver Public Library. <gasps> Trying out these awesome free to use as long as you've got a library card recording studio. studio. Oh, that's what they get you. Make you get a library card. Now mm. you're in the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't stay off the grid with a library card. Nope. I don't want to be off the grid, man. The Unabomber the... didn't have a library card. Well, maybe he did. <laughs> he might have. Probably, probably, <laughs> probably did. did actually. He just didn't return the books. Uh, uh, so when I talk of great ancient libraries, what comes to mind? Alexandria. That's right. The Great Library of Alexandria. It was created around 300 BC. Uh, The Great Library of Alexandria was said to possess nearly half a million scrolls. At this point, Mm. they had moved on to papyrus scrolls. I thought for one second you were going to say half of all the written works in the world. 
Ooh. Well, it's hard to say. Uh, they might have had. Well, there was a, the thing is that what I'm learning uh, when I did this is basically there were lots of cultures that w that had writing, and there were lots of them that would in small spots like you know a town might have a place where they would try to collect their books, and right. it's kind of a library, but mm -hmm. because it didn't have a huge building that lasted through antiquity, that got lost. Right. Uh, so the library at Alexandria was in charge of collecting all the world's knowledge, and mm -hmm. most of the staff was occupied with the task of translating works onto papyrus paper. Right. It did so through an aggressive and well-funded royal mandate involving trips to the book fairs of Rhodes and Athens. Ooh. As well, any books found on ships that came into port were yeah. taken to the library and were listed as books of the ships. Okay. Official scribes then copied these writings. The originals were kept in the library and the copies delivered back to their owners. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, they uh, kept the originals again. That's right. Probably like a shitty copy too, like just chicken scratch. So this is you, when you want you want this back. What in four days? All right. Well, you get the super fast version of the. Yeah. I can totally imagine the bureaucracy behind that would be awful. Yeah. This is like uh, uh, the 20th century version of going to Chapters. Yeah. Buying a book, mm -hmm. and while you're at the till, the folks at Chapters go just one second, take it in the back, Xerox it, and give you the Xerox and say thank you very much. Maybe. Kind of like walking into the library with a book you own, and yeah. they go, "Hey, we need that book in our library," and then they take it and they write it down and give it to you, and they give you uh, the written one. Yeah, there must have been a lot of like secret books. Like, I don't want them to take away my diary or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just gonna keep in the back of my pants. You know what the secret was? Stay illiterate. That's yeah, a good I idea. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck books, man. Yeah, no yeah. problems with no books, right? <clears throat> oh, we're back to the uh, the the book of chests. The Book of Chess. You just said fuck books. Fuck books. Oh, but, fuck yeah. books. Yeah, yeah. That is actually a thing that probably kept books going in the same way that yeah. uh, hi high def uh, yeah. video on the internet is from porn. D drawings of ladies having just, getting it on with, with uh, octopi and whatnot. Yeah, and all sorts of tales of how sex works. Or you make your book out of like something perishable and gross uh -huh. that the library won't touch. Oh, like Or they won't want to keep in their library because mm, like, it's going to... Like cabbage? Like cabbage. cabbage. Yeah, uh -huh. you make your cabbage book. Yeah. So then they copy it and they give you the original made of cabbage back. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, it's mine. <laughs> uh, at one point, Ptolemy III requested permission from the Athenians to borrow the original scripts of Aeschylus, Sophocles, and Euripides, for which the Athenians demanded the enormous amount of 15 talents. That's about 1,000 pounds of precious metal as a guarantee. This okay. is what would happen in uh, mm. ancient libraries is that you could borrow books, but you had to give them something in exchange right. while right. you had it. Your driver's you license. The book back. Yeah, your driver's license, yeah. a lot of. Uh, expensive metal, something like that. So they, they had to leave a thousand pounds of a precious metal. I haven't found which one uh, as a guarantee. The, Ptolemy the, the most third, precious one, probably. It might be gold. I don't yeah. know. Uh, Ptolemy the third happily paid the fee, but kept the original scripts for the library. He was oh, like, what, yeah, what thanks. A, yeah, okay, go ahead and keep my keep my gold pounds of uh, precious metals. Yeah, and I'll keep the books. They're I'll more valuable the than that. Yeah, that's uh, so. This is why when you say maybe it had half of the uh, books of the known world. I mean, any that went through the port, they grabbed those. This and you was like a lot when you kept go them. To, if you go to a pool hall and they make you leave your driver's license to get the cue ball, mm, yeah, but you leave an expired driver's license and a free cue ball. Yeah, mm -hmm. I always wanted a cue ball and I couldn't figure out how to get one. Yeah, that's it. That's how you do it. Now I know. He's you... walk away, man. <laughs> Old address, expired license. Psh. Good thinking. Yep. 
Although there is a mythology of the burning of the library at Alexandria, the library may have suffered several fires or acts of destruction of varying degrees over many years. Sure. Uh, There are several possible occasions for the partial or complete destruction of the library of Alexandria. The main one where they're pretty sure most of the damage happened, uh, if not uh, all, was during Caesar's civil war. Mm. Julius Caesar was besieged at Alexandria, 48 BC. Many ancient sources describe Caesar setting fire to his own ships and state that this fire spread to the library, destroying it. Oh, okay. What a weirdo. Why would you set fire to your own ships? Uh, he did it to cover an escape, apparently. He was oh. he was losing, and uh, in oh, order so to you, cover all his light, men fleeing, he lit all ships on... Yeah, you light a ship on fire so that the other ships can't land or whatever. I guess, yeah. I don't have the details <laughs> on it. The library seems to have continued in existence to some degree until its contents were largely lost during the taking of the city by the Emperor Aurelian in uh, AD 270 to 275. Okay. All right. So uh, from what I saw, there's a bunch of, you know, there were fires here and little fires there. And there's people claiming that they worked at the Great Library of Alexandria even after uh, Caesar's burning. So my guess is that basically the majority of it was lost during that big burning, but they kept enough so that they kept having a library and tried mm-hmm. to rebuild, but it just... Mm-hmm. Never came back Should've to stuck what with it was. stones. Yeah, Solved exactly. Fire problem. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. Early private libraries. The private Greek libraries existed as early as 500 BC. Yep. By the first century, Seneca was writing angrily against libraries fitted out for show by illiterate owners who scarcely read the titles in the course of a lifetime, but displayed the scrolls in bookcases of citrus wood inlaid with ivory that ran right to the ceiling. Oh, Wait, so what? It was a status thing. So they couldn't read them. Yeah, yeah. But it, like, it was cool to have a library. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was hip. He wrote, by now, like bathrooms and hot water, a library has got up as standard equipment for a fine house. Right. Okay. And he was like, he was like angrily writing that these illiterate people were holding How dare books they in their take our books? Yeah, because I guess not reading them. There were only so many books and scrolls in the world. It's not like, you know, movable pr- uh, print and all that. Joke. I think it's just that it's, you know, it's like me with Star Wars toys. Why are you not taking that out of the box and playing with it? Why? Okay. You can't just put it on a shelf. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Uh, As the Roman Empire fell and divided, books and libraries flourished and flowed east towards the Byzantine Empire. Mm -hmm. In the early Middle Ages, monastery libraries developed. Books were usually chained to the shelves, Mm. reflecting the fact that manuscripts, which were created via the labor-intensive process of hand-copying, were valuable possessions. They should have done that with the Necronomicon. And then then Wilbur Waitley would not have been able to steal it. Mm. And every monk's job was just to stare, to look intensely at one single tome. That's why it's a monastery. Right. Just with one eye? Yeah. Yeah. Just that. But you can switch eyes. Just one eye at a time. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. And you just, oh, you absorb it. (laughs) Absorb it. (laughs) And then if you ever need, if the whole thing burns down, every monk can copy it back up. That's right. I memorized my page. They've Mm -hmm. been mono staring. Yeah, that's right. Books. Uh huh. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. That's true, right? That's true. That's how it went down. Yeah, of course it did. Because I just said it. At the start of the 19th century, there were virtually no public libraries in the sense that we now understand them. In other words, libraries provided from public funds and freely accessible to all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most libraries were private, though they did Mm. do the loaning and and trading as long as you'd leave money and things like like that. Like art galleries and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Private collections, but they'll like loan them out to to the MoMA or the... Well, as long as you left something of value there or some subscription libraries. Kevin could go down to the Vancouver Art Gallery Mm -hmm. and say, I want to borrow that painting. Right. By Emily Carr. Emily Carr. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, yes, you can borrow, but you have to leave us a million dollars. Right. In precious metals. That's, that's how it works, right? <laughs> yeah. And Kevin's like, deal. Mm-hmm. And then I just leave my precious metals behind. 
The foundation of the modern public library system in Britain is the Public Libraries Act of 1850. The act first gave local boroughs the power to establish free public libraries by raising taxes to fund them. The middle classes at the time were concerned that the workers' free time was not being well spent. Campaigners felt that encouraging the lower classes to spend their free time on morally uplifting activities such as reading would promote greater social good. Oh, okay. that, is, that is a threat. So it wasn't exactly about let's educate people. Right. It was let's make these hooligans stop carousing and drinking and fornicating and just start reading some start books. Start reading. There you yeah. Go. Yeah. And, and they, of course, the lower classes went straight to the, uh, to the boot book, the big book of boots. The, the big book the, of boots. The, the, yeah. the, the, the chest book. <clears throat> That's right. That's why they had to put in that glass case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the boobs are getting worn down from all the guard. feeling. Yeah. Salford Museum and Art Gallery first opened in November of 1850 Did as you the- you say Salford Museum? Salford. Oh. S-A-L-F-O-R-D. Because Salford Museum is something else entirely. I would That's go. Right. I'd go see it. Really? That's, ooh, stinky. Oh, you just want to like, because you like smelling your own farts? Is that it? That's true. Yeah. But it's so yellow. It, it is very yellow. Your yes. farts are yellow? And sulfur uh, is yellow. Oh, uh. yes. <laughs> it opened in November of 1850 as the Royal Museum and Public Library as the first unconditionally free public library in England. Mm -hmm. And the library in Campfield, Manchester was the first library to operate a free lending library without subscription in 1852. Okay. So it's only been about 160 years or so that we've uh, actually had open public lending libraries. All right. Yeah. The modern public library grew at a great pace at the end of the 19th century, especially right. in the Anglosphere. Mm -hmm. Anglosphere. Uh, yeah. Ooh, that, that's like, uh, we got <laughs> that's a big white ball that you go in. <laughs> no, 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 with bad teeth. No, no, no. It's, an, it's the uh, Anglosphere. It's got lots of corners. Oh. Lots of corners. It's like, like a, a polyhedron. Corners. It's not even a sphere. That's why it's called Anglosphere. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's where you go in so the hounds of Tindalo can't get you. You go inside of the Anglosphere. <laughs> Because they can't handle non-Euclidean They can't handle Euclidean Well, geometry. as everyone knows oh, from reading The Hounds of Tindalos by oh. Frank Belknap Long, uh -huh. the Hounds of Tindalos gain entry to our time by coming through angles in the oh. walls. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Nerd alert. Wouldn't the angle sphere allow them to come through anywhere because it's a sphere of angles, which gets bypasses their, I don't know. Oh, shit. Yeah, right? You might, it'll get so jammed error. up with Hounds of Tindalos that That's they can't right. move. It's like it becomes a, a Three Stooges situation. Right. They can't actually enter the dimension. Just they all, like they're all up. trying to squeeze through the same angle. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And then you just go, whoop, 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 slap them all across there. Yeah. Or, and roll the angle sphere off a cliff or something. Yep. The Library of Congress in the United States is the second largest library by collection size, with the largest being the British Library. Okay. However, I didn't find much really interesting about the British Library. Mm. But uh, we burned down the uh, – we, I mean Canadians oh. and the British that we were with uh -huh. while we were working for it. We yeah. burned down the Library of Congress in 1814 because of the War of 1812. It's because we hate knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Destroyed its collection of 3,000 volumes. Oh, there you go. Within a month. Suck on that, Americans. Yeah. Within a month. They don't like to read anyway, so yeah. <laughs> it's fine. That's, yeah, they just had that Library of Congress for no reason. No. That's where they congressed. Yeah, reason. exactly. They just gathered. Less of a library and more of a congress. They gathered so they could monastery. Yep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Within a month, former President Jefferson offered his personal library as a replacement. Oh. Jefferson spent 50 years accumulating a wide variety of books in several languages in many subjects, mm -hmm. philosophy, science, literature, architecture, and other topics not normally viewed as part of a legislative library, such Boring. as cookbooks. Oh, well, there you go. 
Jefferson said, I do not know that it contains any branch of science which Congress would wish to exclude from their collection. There is, in fact, no subject to which a member of Congress may not have an occasion to refer. Mm-hmm. So, so like, look, a member of Congress occasionally is going to need a cookbook. This is a different kind of member of Congress than I've come to know in my lifetime. In 1851, a fire destroyed two-thirds of the Jefferson collection, with only 2,000 books remaining. Uh, By 2008, after working for 10 years, the librarians at the Library of Congress had found replacements for all but 300 of the works that were in Jefferson's original collection. That's pretty good. That's pretty good sleuthing. Yep. The 1870 Copyright Act in the United States requires two copies of every book published in the United States to be sent to the Library of Congress. Oh, I didn't realize that that was a, uh, you know, that was their copyright. Yes. Their copyright. Right. It's, the, it's their two copyright. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We get two of those. A little yeah. redundancy. You know, when uh, I was a young man in the darkest of the hillside thickets, mm. uh, we would make albums. Yeah. And then the Canadian Library of whatever would send us a letter saying, oh, you made this album. You need to send us a copy of this album for our archives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It will cost you this much to do so. Oh. So we said- Okay. All right. It was a lot of money. We were. It was in the 1990s, and we were poor. It was money. Yeah. It, was, <laughs> it was money. It was money. It was money. Like it could have been three dollars. No, it was more than three dollars. Okay. It, four, how many members of the band? Five. Uh, yeah. Five dollars, and that would have been a dollar. Yeah, a dollar each. No, 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 no. no. What? No. Yeah, no, no, no. Of course not. Plus postage. Plus postage. Yeah. Woof. I hear ya. Any guess how many books the Library of Congress contains? Three million. 2.9 million. 32 million cataloged books and mm. other print materials in right. 470 languages, uh-huh. more than 61 million manuscripts, ah. the largest rare book collection in North America, including a rough draft of the Declaration of Independence, mm. a Gutenberg Bible. What do you think was in the rough draft of the Declaration of Independence that didn't make the final draft? Mm. They scratch out. Right? Penguins for all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What, what, do you, what, do you, what about you, Joe? What do you think is the uh, the last thing to go on the the, the rough draft of the Declaration the, of Independence? The one thing they want, uh, uh, free tea, because they had that whole Boston Tea Party, and they're like, uh, yeah, yeah. You get, we got to have free tea for everybody. Yeah. Like, we can't do free tea for everybody. <laughs> That's right. Like, yeah, fuck tea, coffee. Uh-huh. Over 1 million U.S. government publications, mm-hmm. 33,000 bound newspaper volumes. They're starting to sound like hoarders now. Yeah. Well, the you don't want that to fall over on you. The, the horde of Congress. Mm-hmm. Oh. 5.3 million maps, 6 oh. million works of sheet music, 3 million sound recordings, more than 14.7 million prints and photographic images. The Library of Congress states that its collection fills about 838 miles of bookshelves. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Huh? Tried to find a couple of famous and uh, perhaps caustic librarians through history. Mm-hmm. Just a brief mention well, the libra- of- The evil librarian. Mao Zedong. Mm-hmm. Okay. The man responsible for uniting China during the 1940s and 50s when he organized the People's Republic of China was a librarian. Oh. As a young man, Mao lived in Peking, China, working as an assistant librarian at Peking University. Maybe that's where he got his revolutionary thought. He was like, I got to get out of here. It absolutely is. I will will overturn the government to get out of a fucking library. (laughs) (laughs) Get out from behind these stacks. Uh, Actually, as a matter of fact, the chief librarian at Peking University was Li Dazhao. He was a Marxist, and he succeeded in converting Mao over to Marxism. And you're only allowed to look at that that library. You're only allowed to look at the bottom corner. There's only Peking allowed. Oh, the, yeah. yes, the Peking University. Yeah. You can only read the, like, you know, half square, last square inch at yep. the bottom corner. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. I want to thank super cool librarian Amanda for this. Uh, I asked her for some. Uh, Amanda Hug and Kiss? Uh, actually, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she told me that uh, Melville Dewey, 
who created the Dewey Decimal Classification. Uh, okay. uh, we better and, talk and, about him. And, Dewey. And one of the three nephews to Scrooge McDuck. Huey and Louie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, where's the Huey and decimal the Louie system? Yeah. The Huey and Louie system? Well, the Louie system is Louie. Louie. Oh, we got to go. Right, okay. He's always going, right? And the Huey is the helicopter system. The mm. helicopter cataloging system. We'll right. Them on a shelf. You know how all your helicopters are getting lined up. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You got, you got to be able to find your helicopter store. It's true. Need a system. You need a system. You do, actually, uh, because when Dewey began as a librarian, books were given permanent shelf locations that were related to the order of acquisition rather than the topic. Right. Like, yeah, oh. we got this book. All right, put it on the it's, end of the it's shelf. It's this much old, the yeah. book you're looking for. Okay. Look in the this old section. Yeah, you'd have oh. to, like, try and look up the title or something and just go okay. find it in the stacks. In wait, eight- wait, but from acquisition, not even from printing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is yeah. when we got it. It could have been printed ten years earlier. Yeah. But if you didn't get it till then, that's where it went. Yeah. That is a very confusing system. I thought this system right. was just like a pile of books, just a single tower of books. I well, know, it, it, I just keep building more and more on top of, of the it, ladder. It, it is that way, except they the, just put it on bookshelves and went sideways. Oh. Yeah. The pile goes it's sideways. Not, it's not as fun. It's like a Jenga game every time <laughs> you want to take a book out. <laughs> In 1883, Melville developed the Dewey Decimal Classification, which introduced the concepts of relative location and relative index, which allows new books to be added to a library in their appropriate location based on subject. The classification's notation makes use of a three-digit Arabic numerals for for main classes with fractional decimals, allowing expansion for further. Mm -hmm. Uh, Get the number, find the book, write by the others on the same topic. Categorization, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, However, uh, a lot of librarians really, really hate this. Uh, They point out that it's uh, the attitudes in it are outdated and extremely ethnocentric. Uh, I have an example pulled from it. The religion section of the Dewey Decimal Classification, the 200s. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you've got your 100 to 200 to 300s, right? Mm-hmm. So religion is 200. So under 200, you've got religion. Under 210, you've got natural theology and secularism. So the atheists, the non believers get their little section. 220, Bible. 230, doctrinal theology. 240, devotional practical. 250, pastoral theology. 260, church institutions and work. 270, Christian history. 280, Christian churches and sects. 290, non Christian religions. Misc. Got it. Right? So, well, but they, why can't we just change the system? Why can't they just update it? Well, because everything's already in that system. Right. Also, the system is actually private because it's published and copyrighted by the whatever the company is that currently has it right now. Right. And so, Dewey if you have a library and you want to use that, you have to pay in order to use the Dewey Decimal System. Right. Uh, from what I've heard, a lot of libraries are switching over to. There's two that are popularized right now. There's one that's basically what uh, bookstores use. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. And there's also the Library of Congress's catalog, which instead of using uh, the 200, 300, 400, uses uh, A through Z and then yeah. gets uh, subclassified. You can look all those up on Wikipedia and stuff. We'll put some links up. Size. Yeah. Oh, yeah. by thickness. Yeah. Thickness of tome. Mm. Weight. Ooh, now, I like that. That's what they, they call them, volumes. <laughs> Really? Uh. It's not just the Dewey Decimal Classification that's weird or a problem. Uh Dewey himself was a little odd. Was he screwy Dewey? And also problematic. As a young adult, Dewey advocated spelling reform. Mm -hmm. He changed his name from the usual Melville, M-E-L-V-I-L-L-E, to M-E-L-V-I-L. Sure. Without redundant letters. Okay. And that's how it's existed. This has been going on on the internet for years. So wait, so he, he 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 didn't like the Knigget's? He didn't like Yeah, the, he didn't want any of that stuff. He didn't like the he liked the two night with the I T E. That's right. As opposed to the G H. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and actually for a time he changed his surname to Dewey D U I instead okay. of D E W E Y. 
Sure. Uh, though it seems that he changed that back. Dewey? <laughs> Even Dewey's friends found him to be difficult, and he early in life established a pattern of making powerful enemies. Oh. Yeah. One biographer noted, although he did not lack friends, the, they were weary of coming to his defense. So endless a process it had become. <laughs> so, I, I, I imagine this guy being like a, a person who would like categorize library books as like the world's biggest pedant. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh the Absolutely. number one, you've got to get it right yeah. guy. Yeah. No, listen, we're going to classify these, and Christianity gets two through 290. Yeah. Yeah, I, absolutely. But it's worse than that, though. Dewey considered women well-suited to the repetitive nature of library work, mm-hmm. writing in longhand, filling cards. They yep. had patience, he said, and were able to sit for long periods. They also didn't cause trouble. Yeah, because they don't It's not ball. sexist as if it's a compliment. Yeah, they, they don't... <laughs> That's probably what he thinks. Because <laughs> ladies don't have balls getting in the way with all that sitting and... Uh, oh, yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. I could never sit for... Eh. Yeah. Uh, Dewey had it right. When Dewey opened his School of Library Economy at Columbia College to women, he required a photograph from each female applicant oh, since, really? quote, you cannot polish a pumpkin. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> That's not true. I have polished pumpkins. Oh, really? Every single day. <laughs> is, that, is that what you call your dick? It's Torrance fetish. Torrance Paulus and the pumpkin again. I think we know what color Torrance dick is. God, it's a good thing this show is audio only. Yeah, and it's got seeds. Big clunky seeds that you toast in the. Yeah, and I and I, I cut away the top and put a little candle in it. Got it. Perfect. In night, see like a scary face inside of it. Yeah, I got it. Those triangle eyes. In 1905, during a 10-day trip to Alaska sponsored by the American Library Association, a group he co-founded, he made unwelcome advances on four prominent librarians who informed association officials. As a result, he was ostracized from the ALA. Oh. <laughs> An organization that he created for yeah. for, for uh, creepiness. He, he just, just called it the Sexy Librarian Foundation. Yeah, then, yeah. then it would have been truth and advertising. Yeah, everybody would have understood right from the front and just yeah. avoided it. In 1904, the New York State Board of Regents received a petition demanding Dewey's removal as state librarian because of his personal involvement in the Lake Placid Club's policy of excluding Jews and other religious and ethnic groups. Got it. They were all eaten by alligators anyway. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. While the regents declined to remove Dewey, they did issue a public rebuke, and in the summer of 1905, he resigned as a result. So he was anti-Semitic. He was a total sexist, creepy jerk. Hold on. Just because. Yeah. He uh, hits on women and doesn't want any unattractive women to be librarians mm-hmm. and doesn't like uh, Jews and other ethnic groups to actually be in libraries. Well, in his the Lake Placid Club, he was actually part of the uh, original Lake Placid Winter Olympics Committee. Oh, okay. It, it, I mean, that doesn't all mean that he's sexist and anti-Semitic and racist. It's just a lot of evidence it's suggesting just... probably. Yeah, well, he probably categorized those It's people. all part of his system. It's all part of his system, right? He categorized them in, you know, uh, subcategories. And, you know, just, uh, it doesn't have time for They just for have to embrace their, the reality of their subcategorization. Dewey died of a cerebral hemorrhage 16 days after his 80th birthday. Mm. Mm. So he's kind of a jerk and lived a long life anyway. Oh, well. He just liked to hit on ladies. Librarians. Oh, Maybe it's just his fetish. Maybe he created librarians yeah, to right. service this like sexual fantasy of his. I like ladies in pencil skirts with glasses on. <laughs> Probably. How can I make an and entire, hair in a bun? Hair in a bun. How can I create an entire class of people like this? Yeah, yeah. Let's categorize books and then have them. Well, speaking of librarians and sex, uh-huh. what do you think would ever happen if there was a librarian sex survey put out? 
Librarian Sex Survey? Yeah. Okay, so hold on. Let me clarify. What does that mean? Yeah. Does well, that mean that you, you poll librarians about their sexual habits? Yes. Oh, okay. In 1992, librarian and author Will Manley created a librarians and sex survey for the Wilson Library Bulletin. But his name was Will Manley. Will Manley. Are you sure this isn't a pseudonym? That it's like, you know, this is well, like the setup for the greatest practical joke of all time, right? It's like <laughs> librarian sex survey by Will Manley. <laughs> well, he did own willmanley.com and posted a blog on it. However, it's now become a dumpster service spam site, so I he's it's possible he's passed it's on and somebody else grabbed that. The initial survey questionnaire appeared in their June 92 issue in Manley's Facing the Public column. The H.W. Wilson Company president was so displeased with the appearance of the survey, he had Manley fired and remaining copies of the publication destroyed. Ooh. However, in 2010, Manley published the results on his blog, mm-hmm. which uh, I found on archive.org because it's being squatted right now. Mm-hmm. Squat. So I've got some results here. Some I'm going to put, because this is not up on his blog anymore, I'm going to put, uh, there are 24 different questions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read off some of the more interesting uh, answers, but I'm going to put every single one of them up on causticsodapodcast.com in the show notes. You can go read them there. They're pretty interesting. Uh, are we going to pop quiz this? or How many librarians well, were polled? Uh, five, and by, by that, how many of them had he sex? He received right? 5,000 results bef- uh, from the people. So. Uh, and by polled, how many had sex right before they did the survey? Uh, I don't have that, those numbers. Mm-hmm. Question one was... was this, this was voluntary. This was voluntary. Yeah, it was people who read... I didn't the, even know there were 5,000 libra- sexy librarians or librarians, period. <laughs> just lots, yeah, yeah, lots and lots. Uh, question one, playboy, playgirl, playguy. This was asking whether they felt that these should be included in libraries. Okay. Uh, oh. what, do you th- what do you think the percentage of respondents that feel that Playboy should be included in libraries? 100%. 100%. Uh, it was actually 40%. Oh. 23% felt Playgirl should be included, and 6% felt that Playguy should be included. I didn't, I didn't know there was know. a Playguy. Is Playguy, is that a gay Playboy? I'm Maybe? guessing it must I'm going to guess it is. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the one category that's missing. Question five, condom dispensers. 22% of the respondents felt that libraries should have condom dispensers in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Sexual harassment by a supervisor. Uh, this 100%. is uncomfortable. 100%. What do you think? 100%. 100%. You think 100%? 100%. 95%. Okay. It's 14%. Still no. ridiculously You know why? You know why? Because there aren't more Deweys in the world. That's, yeah. We need more Deweys. Get that up to 100%. <laughs> Dewey, Dewey was responsible for 13 of that 14%. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. For these like octogenarian, I was 18 when I started and that guy hit on me pretty Now, hard. now, don't cause trouble. That's what you women do, right? You don't cause trouble? Mm-hmm. Sexual harassment by a patron. Any guesses on this? Is this breaks up into female and male respondents? So it's two different numbers, obviously. Female, one hundred percent. Male, one percent. Torn. Sorry, what was the question? Uh, sexual harassment by a patron. So a not patron. A, not a, a library patron, not a supervisor. One hundred percent. For both. Yes. Okay. Seventy-eight uh, percent of female respondents oh. and only seven percent of the male respondents indicated that they had been sexually harassed by a library patron. Yeah, but we really know that one hundred percent have. They just didn't report it, or, or they didn't realize it. Oh, maybe that too. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll ask you guys this question. Awkward nerds like trying to hit on them, and they're like, um, "I don't know what that was, but it can't be sexual harassment." Okay, so it's nineteen ninety-two. Nuclear war happens. The darkest of the hillside thickets is starting. Yep, they're starting. As a band. Nuclear war starts, and the only person left to propagate the species is Roseanne Barr-Arnold. Roseanne Barr-Arnold. This is in the survey? This is in the survey. This is a weird question. Would you you sleep with Roseanne Barr-Arnold in order to repopulate the world? This is a very strange question for stuff that has been like... Really kind of like, you know, occupationally based. Yeah. And actually might glean some information. That is weird. This is uh, Mr. Manley. I'm just noticing Kevin's not answering the question. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Mr. Manly is obviously showing his own Dewey-like uh, proclivity right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you. It doesn't matter if it was Roseanne Barr or I don't know Charlize Theron. Okay. No yeah. more human race for me. No more human race. <laughs> Oh yeah, Kevin. Yeah, that's right. You got the old snip, snip. Well, that too. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> by choice uh-huh. and, uh, and physically. Well, well okay, Torrin. She's, would you would you not tell her about that and have sex anyway? Because she's the only person to have sex with, or well, as long as they were consent. I guess yeah. See, here's the thing. Oh. <laughs> there's always the, the big book of boobs. The big there's always the big book of boobs. The, 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 right. the boob chest. Yep. The uh-huh. chest boob. Yeah. Uh, sure, I'd propagate the species. What the hell? Right, for the last two people on Earth, you have, a, sure. mil- you have a million Kevin's little Kevin's running around. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so it was uh, it was thirty percent of male respondents. Because felt. you know, it's like in the cartoons where like a duck and a rabbit are married, mm-hmm. and they're all the childrens are either like ducks or rabbits. Yeah, There's right. no like weird hybrids. Yeah. So there would be if you and Roseanne Barr well, had the entire sex, human race. There would be little Roseanne Bars and little Kevins. They look like little miniaturized. <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness, that would be awful. <laughs> oh, oh, that is that is the horrible post nuclear uh, apocalypse. Yeah, it would be, be my final horror revenge. story. That's your next movie right there. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Uh, now, he also asked uh, Nuclear War and Pee Wee Herman. 30% of the men said, said that they would sleep with Roseanne Barr to repopulate the species after nuclear war. 38% of the female respondents indicated that they would sleep with Pee Wee Herman there to repopulate. I like it, the fact that he's picked Pee Wee Herman and Roseanne Barr as mm-hmm. the two least attractive people he could think of. Is yeah. Pee Herman the least attractive person you can think of? Maybe maybe he thought they were the most attractive. We don't know. Maybe. Oh, he was expecting the 100% response. Yeah. Uh, okay, public places where librarians have had sex at least once. First, I'm going to read where it is, and you guys can say yes or no, and then I'll give you the percentage of them that have done it. Okay. Like, yes, they did have it. Yes, they did have it in a public place in that in that place I named, or like no. Like at least 1%? Well, this is about you. Yes, you did, or no, you didn't. Oh, this is oh. personal. We're not. We're oh, this I This will be personal, and then yeah. we'll compare you to the librarians. Oh, right. dear. <clears throat> Good God. I'll, inside I'll of a whale, along. inside of a sperm whale. I'll play yes. Along. Yes. Uh, one in a, in a car. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. 63% yeah. said yes in a car. In a sleazy motel room. Sleazy? That's what well, it no. says, sleazy motel room. I don't think I've done it in a sleazy motel room. Certainly in a motel room, though. I, I mean, sleazy is so subjective. This I agree. Right. so subjective. I agree. I'm sure somebody in the world... Every hotel room is sleazy if you're sleazing room, in it. There's somebody in the world who thinks that every motel room is sleazy. So, you know, the fact that it's called a motel Kevin, room... Kevin, did you think it was sleazy when you were in it? Did you go, I went into a high-class... Hotel room and I sleezed it up. That's right. <laughs> Any place where Torn has sex is sleazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah precisely. Uh, yeah, the fa- just by the nature of the fact that it said motel on the you know. I shall just outside. motel, right? Like mo because yeah. motel's not like a hotel, like yeah. where you've driven, you drive to your door basically yeah. and walk in. I I have definitely had sex in a motel, yeah. sleazy or otherwise. Yeah, uh, sleeping bag. That's a weird one. Although you know, I don't think, think I have. Oh, I have. Okay, Torrin? Because the only way I can get lured out to do camping is if there's promise of sex at the end of it. Yeah, I've just never had that promise, so I don't go camping. Yeah, well, I've gone camping a few times, and there was the many, most of the time. It's just I'm going to say probably yes, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kitchen floor. Oh, sorry, that was 50, 52% yes in the sleeping bag. Got it. Kitchen floor. This is a weird way that we're going with the library's Mr. episode. Mr. <laughs> Manley is a very strange person. Was he a librarian himself? Yeah, he was. Librarian oh, and author, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, kitchen floor, yes. Yeah, forty-three percent torn. I don't think so. Okay, hot tub. Yes. No, thirty-two percent, and too yes, hot. yes for me. Here we go. Library 
How many? Now, I don't think any of us have. I certainly haven't. But, you know, after this well, is done, we could always fix that, guys. It, are we talking intercourse or are we talking about any sort of sexual it, activity? It, the question question is public places where librarians have had sex at least once. Mm. So I'm Does guessing, sex with a book count? I don't believe we're going to call masturbating sex. No, okay. I think you had to have another person. No. Uh, yes. Uh, you, you have had sex in a library? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I've not. 20% of librarians, according to this survey. That, see, that's surprising, though, because librarians are in libraries all the time. I mean, like... Uh, yeah. Like, I, I go to libraries once in a blue moon, and I've had sex a lot. And if you're dating a librarian, you, you're going to go like, hey, let's go in the library. Yeah, exactly. You have full access. If you are a you non-librarian dating a librarian, you're like... Um, yeah, let's do it in the architecture <laughs> section, baby. Let's, let's do this. <laughs> when did you have sex in the library, Kevin? Uh, at UBC in the stacks. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It was kind of legendary. Yeah. There was like there were a couple of there were a couple you were in the spots. mythology section. There were, <laughs> yeah, I was in uh, uh, ancient history. Uh, hey, whosoever pulleth this dick out of this lady shall be crowned king of Vancouver. No, because the, the main stacks at UBC uh, before they expanded it. Um, it just they kept just kept sticking books in there mm-hmm. and and without like spanning the space provided. Yeah. So the, the There's a little alcove. They would get like really narrow and they would kinda like create these sort of like labyrinthine little sections where yeah. it kinda went to nowhere, but it almost at some points like would look like there wasn't another uh aisle when there was and so there were like three or four very accessible places. Sex holes. Sex holes, yeah, absolutely. Sure. And in um you know, university. You're in, especially when you're living in residence in university. Yeah, that you are in close proximity to a lot of people, and you want a little like privacy. Mm-hmm. It was going to the library. Go to the library <laughs> where nobody goes. Wow. Yeah. Now I didn't have full intercourse. Like I, there was a sexual activity. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, I'll take that. It wasn't pants down penetration or nothing. Right. I get you. Yeah. Airplane and elevator. These are both pretty similar numbers. No. No. Uh, I've done neither. Neither. No. Uh, 7% airplane, 8% elevator. All right. And also, let's get to this one last one. When asked to pick a Shakespearean title that best describes their first sexual encounter, describe your first sexual encounter with a Shakespeare. The, the title of a Shakespeare title. play? Yeah. yeah. Macbeth. Uh, <laughs> Why is that? There's lots of blood. It's the only Shakespeare I can think of right now. <laughs> uh, much to do about a, nothing? Is this a dagger yes, yes, I see before yes, me? Yes, much to do about nothing yeah. would be more appropriate. Yeah. Uh-huh. 28% chose Comedy of Errors. 23% chose A Midsummer Night's Dream. 22% chose Much Ado About Nothing. 21% chose All's Well That Ends Well, which I think is mine. Mm-hmm. And 6% chose The Rape of Lucretia. Oh, mm. okay. nice. Because they were hanging out with Dewey. Yeah. Because of Lucretia. For sex, see librarian. This is also from Will Manley. One thing that is universally funny in the library profession is that phrase, for sex, see librarian. Uh, This phrase is not a joke. It was actually a fairly common card catalog insertion that was put in front of the cards for the books on human sexuality prior to the 1960s. If you wanted a sex book, you'd have to go through a human being to get access. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we all resorted to National Geographic. Yes. And to medical texts about... you know genitalia uh, deformities. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right? and uh, the the the, the Sears uh, bra and uh, corset sections mm-hmm. of the catalog. Well, right. in the same sections, if it was the Christmas catalog, mm-hmm. in, in the same catalog, oh, you brother. also got the uh, Princess Leia spreads. The, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would remember section. you'd also get the garters and stockings mm-hmm. that burned itself into my brain. Mm-hmm. 
This was a time period when sex education books were kept behind the desk and the patron had to ask the librarian to see the books. Oftentimes, the patrons had to provide ID to prove that they were 21 or older. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's important to emphasize that these were basic sex ed books, right. which at the time were often referred to as marriage manuals. Oh. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. Everybody poops, for example. Right. That's a marriage <laughs> manual? Yeah. All right. I, I had no idea. Thank God I'm never getting married. The Brave Sage of Timbuktu, Abdel Kader Haidara. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abdel Kader Haidara's father, Mohammed Haidara, nicknamed Mama. Mama. Oh was a self-taught scholar and amassed a large quantity of rare handwritten books in Timbuktu in the nation of Mali. That's yeah. in northwest Africa. If you think okay. of Africa as having that one bit in the top left that kind of sticks out, Mali's right in the middle. It's a of real that. place, not just somewhere not, that your dad threatens to kick you. T- Timbuktu is not made up. Yeah. Right. Haider told National Geographic, since the 16th century, our ancestors had been acquiring manuscripts. They had built up a library in Bamba, and my father added to it. He traveled all over Africa, bringing back manuscripts from Chad, Sudan, and Egypt. Chad who? Just some guy named Chad. Yeah, uh, uh, Chad Manley. Mm. Chad Manley. Manley. He also helped augment the manuscript collection of the Ahmed Baba Institute, created by UNESCO in 1967 with the objective of preserving the region's rich written history. Uh-huh. So unlike uh, we had public libraries happening in uh, in England and then spreading over to America and Canada and stuff like that, yep. uh, in the Islamic world, there are libraries and lots of people who were very interested in holding on to these writings, but yep. the public library wasn't as big a deal. Uh yeah, there and, were like lots of royal libraries. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, Sultans exactly. Like that. Libraries. Yeah, that was kind of that was a status thing there too, right? Yeah. After Abdel Kader's father died in 1981, the director of the Ahmed Baba Institute asked him, who was then 17, to replace his father as head collector. Mm. Uh, at first, he wasn't interested. He wanted to go into business. As head collector? Make, yeah. He chopped people's heads off? Yes. That's how he got their, like, memories of books out? Yes. Is he would, like, <laughs> chop the head off and then, like, pour it out onto a table and go, oh, we've got the Bible here. We've got, you know, everyone. Be, everyone yeah, it all poops. comes out like alphabet soup. Yeah, that's right. And you just, right. like, you have to, like. It's a librarian's job to rearrange it. Yeah, put it in a, it's like movable type, right? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Head collector. Got it. He wasn't all that interested. He wanted to go into business and focus on making money, right. uh, but soon agreed and fell in love with preserving Mali's written culture. Mm-hmm. He began knocking on the doors of families in Timbuktu, trying to persuade them to bring their manuscripts out of hiding. He, he went all the way to Timbuk One. <laughs> That's how far he traveled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Resistance was intense. Many families mm. were so skittish after a century of French pillaging, because right. they were controlled by the French for so right. long, mm-hmm. that they refused even to discuss the issue. Uh, little by little, he sensitized people to the conservation work that the library was doing. Then he traveled by motorized dugout canoe along the Niger and by motorized camel... Motorized dugout canoe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and yeah. by camel caravan across the Sahara, visiting chiefs and family librarians in remote villages. When the art of persuasion failed, Haidara tried playing on guilty consciences, pointing mm-hmm. out that the appalling neglect of the many books uh, had suffered, water damage, termite infestations. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end, he resorted to cash... In 1993, Haidara quit his job at the Ahmed Baba Institute and went out on his own trying to raise funds for, for the family archive. A breakthrough appeared imminent in 1996 when he received a call from the Libyan government promising him, quote, assistance. Okay. Weeks later, a delegation dispatched by Muammar Gaddafi showed up at his home, poured through the Mama Haidara collection, and offered to buy everything on the spot and take it all back to Tripoli. Right. They said, we want everything we see here, even the trunks. We will pay you in any currency you want. Just name your price. Haidara mm. insisted that he wasn't even tempted, and they couldn't believe it. Mm. Well, I mean, when you're when you wandering the, 
the countryside from Timbuk One to Timbuk Two. Right. You know, uh, he put a lot of like sweat equity in just to like exactly. to like swoop in here and like take his books off his hands. So we have this hardworking Islamic Timbuktu librarian working to collate the knowledge mm-hmm. of his country. All the books, all these beautiful right. books. <laughs> he just wanted to roll around in them. Yeah, Hi, Dara. Oh yeah, like a uh, indecent proposal situation. Haider was traveling in Burkina Faso when Islamist and Tuareg rebels began their march toward Timbuktu in late March of 2012. Mm -hmm. He arrived back home just hours after the rebels seized the city. Overnight, Timbuktu was plunged into a nightmare. The police, the army, and all government officials fled, along with thousands of ordinary citizens. Looters filled the streets, pulling cash out of banks, ripping apart stores, breaking the houses and hotels with impunity. Mm Then the first Islamist policemen began to appear, driving pickup trucks draped in black jihadist flags. At first, Haider tried to act as though nothing had happened, but quickly he realized that the radicals would soon take undisputed power, and when they did, Haider was sure that they would target his manuscripts. These books, scattered in 45 libraries across the cities, most of which Haider had helped to get built, epitomized the reasoned discourse and traditions of intellectual inquiry that the militants wanted to destroy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are the same uh, dickbags that, like, blow up, uh, you know, ancient structures and stuff like that yeah yep. yeah exactly a month into the jihadist takeover Haider and his nephew Toure began venturing into the markets of Timbuktu buying up metal trunks and storing them at the Mama Haidera and other libraries around the city when they had bought everyone in Timbuktu they found more in markets farther south when those ran out they purchased metal oil drums and brought them to a craftsman mm. in a river town where he hammered them into more trunks right oh well, there you go yeah can't just put them in the, in the drums behind no, they're circular books are square Come on, this is is simple geometry. Not in the kids' section. They got round books in there. Behind locked doors, Hydera Toure and a few... He was collecting books with the inquiry of like all world knowledge. Like how many circular children's books are in this collection? The Friendly Caterpillar. Yeah. That one can go. Yeah, that one. Yeah. I don't care about that that That'll be the uh, lost leader, right? You got to let those guys burn something. That's right. Yeah. Haidara Toure and a few other volunteers packed the manuscripts into the trunks. They worked often by flashlight because because the jihadists had cut all the power. Mm -hmm. By July, they'd managed to transport all 350,000 manuscripts from Timbuktu's libraries to safe houses around the city owned by relatives of library owners. Mm. Right. Haidara fled Timbuktu for Bamako in May, and by September, the news be- was becoming grim. Salafists had burned a library near Tripoli and destroyed hundreds of manuscripts. At about the same time, radicals in Timbuktu had embarked on a brutal campaign to destroy the tombs of the city's revered Sufi saints, right. breaking the tombs apart with pickaxes. When Haidara got the word that the militants, feeling stronger and more confident, had removed checkpoints across northern Mali, he gave the orders for his operatives to begin moving the manuscripts from Timbuktu's safe houses to Bamako. Mm-hmm. Between September and January, couriers made hundreds of trips back and forth between the two cities in rented 4x4s, usually carrying two or three trunks of manuscripts on each journey. On his first journey south, Mohamed Toure was stopped half a dozen times at at Malian government checkpoints. Soldiers harassed him, breaking the locks off his trunks and rifling through his works. His vehicles broke down twice. His driver got lost en route. After a week on the road, he reached Bamako, where he was re-arrested and held in a squalid jail. Right. Mm-hmm. This, is the first, this is the first run. This is the first run. All right. Abdul Kader arrived, had to pay a lot of money, and we were finally liberated with the manuscripts. Uh, he says, you didn't have any choice but to continue. You had to keep working. It got a little easier over time. Right. I made this journey many times. I paid them off repeatedly, the mm-hmm. soldiers, the police, and they got to know me, and it became easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Give us your bribe. All right, what cool. year was this again? Uh, this is 2012. Okay. Yeah, of course. 
Weeks before the French military arrived in Mali, Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb closed all roads leading to the south, forcing Haider to resort to Plan B, organizing dozens of boats to carry the manuscripts down the Niger. Mm. And he had pills to keep uh, his lady friends from getting pregnant. Plan B. Mm-hmm. Plan B, yeah. yeah. By the end of February 2013, Hydera had succeeded in evacuating nearly every manuscript from 45 libraries to safety. The only casualties, 4,200 manuscripts that were burned to ashes in a bonfire set by militants at the Ahmed Baba Institute just minutes before militants fled the city ahead of the French invasion. Right. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, 350,000, you lose 4,200. That's pretty good average. That's 1.5% lost, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll take it. And that is because, so... Like, flee the city. Good plan. Yeah. Save all the books. Uh, Good plan. That's a lot of work, man, in a city full of Islamic militants. Yeah, yeah. I like books and all, but damn. Ah, you know. uh, Listen, he committed. He committed early. He should be the one to create the new decimal system. He just would use books about camouflage and just cover himself with those books. Of course. You just crack open an ancient tome talking about modern camouflage. No, it's all pictures. Against Islamic militants. She can't even find those books in the library. Oh, really? It's all about hieroglyphs, right? He was just super lucky that he had a copy of The Dummy's Guide from Hiding Out from Mm Al-Qaeda. Yeah.
In the news, <laughs> December 2010, Toronto, Canada. Zoo Peter Fang drove a rented van from Ottawa to the Main Street branch of the Toronto Public Library. Okay. He left the van running outside the library, okay. entered, mm-hmm. walked up behind his father, C. William Cheng, uh-huh. as he stood at the bank of computers, yep. and fired a steel crossbow bolt through his heart. Whoa! Whoa. As Cheng struggled <laughs> to extract the steel bolt from his back, uh-huh, as you might do, yep. Fang squirted him in the face with an aerosol spray, uh-huh. and crushed his skull with a hammer. It, the aerosol Clonk. spray was a painkiller of some kind? I don't it have details on what it was. It aerosol was spray. Too. It was air freshener, I think. Yeah, it it uh-huh. might have been. I don't know. Hey, yeah. at least you'll get the smell of lavender before you go out with a, was it <laughs> That's a hammer. Was right. Was it a hammer? A hammer. He crushed his skull with a hammer, yes. <laughs> He then left the library, making no effort to cover up his activities, okay. and slowly drove away. Now, when you, sh- I mean, shooting somebody with a crossbow, yep. right out of the gate, that's creative. Yeah. It shows a level of. Well, you know, it's Canada, so maybe well, getting a gun, get a gun was so difficult. Creativity crossbow. was, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm taking it up to an eight in the creativity department. Mm hmm. And then he just resorts to a hammer and a skull crushing yeah. at the end of it. Like, Maybe it was like a hunting crossbow or like a medieval crossbow? I'm going to say probably hunting. Yeah. Okay. So he was apprehended without incident a short distance away. Uh-huh. Fang then revealed the reason for his brutal attack. Uh, the, oh, his father had taken out library books in his name and had never returned them. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Brutal. Yeah. Well deserving of a steel crossbow bolt in the back and yeah. a crushed head. Yeah. His father had subjected Fang and his mother to a lifetime of abuse. Okay. In court documents, 22 pages of, quote, the most extreme physical, emotional abuse heaped upon both Fang and his mom were brought forth. Capped by the fact that he took away his library card. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The abuse lasted more than 15 years until the marriage ended in 2002, encompassing beatings, sexual violence, and unusual cruelty in many forms. Uh-huh. Among many other things, the father had poured urine on his son, forced him to eat vomit. Wait, that's not normal? No. (laughs) Forced him to eat vomit. Oh, gross. Mm. Hit him repeatedly and ripped the head off the child's pet bird. Now, Like a live pet bird. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not like a toy pet bird. Was it like a toucan? Yeah. Toucan Sam? I I have no details on the species of bird. Mm. He once beat his wife so badly she was temporarily blinded. Ooh. Another time, he cut out the tongue of a live rabbit to show his wife and son what he was capable of doing. What? This guy was big on mutilating animals yeah. in order to, like, yeah. you, know, uh, uh, the, you know, prove himself the alpha male. Now, police and child care authorities had intervened when Chang had been convicted criminally several times. Okay. Right. But he was never jailed for long, and after fleeing their tormentor and relocating in Ottawa, Fang and his mother remained in daily fear of Chang. Sure. Right. After Fang thought he glimpsed his father in Ottawa, he and his mother became so certain they were going to be killed, they began wearing bulletproof vests and fire-resistant face hoods, even when home alone. Interesting. Especially when home alone. Yeah. Right? At one point, Fang wrote to the Governor General of Canada and the Queen, pleading that his father be deported to China. See, that's a problem. He... uh Wrote to the wrong guy. Should have written to the like the minister of deportations of father abuse. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Is, do we have one of those? And uh, rabbit tongue cutting out. Yeah. That's oh, right. Yeah. I the the, uh, the governor general of the SPCA. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That person is very powerful in Canada. In a handwritten apology, the young killer said he murdered Chang because he was totally convinced he and his mother would be killed if he did not act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fang pled guilty to second degree murder. 
and yeah. was handed the automatic life term by Mr. Justice John McMahon. Yeah. Mr. Justice. That's what we call them here. Okay. Who adopted a joint sentencing submission by was prosecution as, and defense. What is that his actual name, Justice? Uh, that's, uh, no. no, that's his title, oh, Mr. Okay. Justice. Yeah. They adopted a joint sentencing submission by prosecution and defense and set parole eligibility at 10 years, the minimum for a second-degree murder conviction. Uh, okay. Basically, there's more to this. That if you want to read the – I'll put a link up uh, in the show notes, acousticsodapodcast.com. Basically, the prosecutor, the defense, and the judge were all like, yeah, this is messed up and like we can't really blame you for the horrible things that yeah. you're going through and you're not a threat to anybody else and you're not violent and you were of sound mind and body, so we have to try you for this. Right. right. And here you go. Here's the lowest we can possibly do. Right. As the proceedings ended and Fang was led away in handcuffs, he gave the judge a deep bow. What section of the library was he in was he when he got murdered? Uh, he was uh, near the computers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. he should have beaten him to death with a hardcover version of Mummy Dearest. <laughs> oh. I uh, got another one here also from Canada. Oh, wow. We, we love library killings. Well, oof, this this girl really loves libraries. Oh. It's not a killing, though. Okay. Uh, December 2014, Windsor, Ontario, Canada. Ooh. Windsor. That's where they invented the knot. That's where they invented the knot for ties. I can neither confirm nor deny that. Yep. A man called the Riverside branch of the Windsor Public Library to report that a woman under the username Lil Secret was exposing her breasts and more for live performances at Windsor Libraries. Okay. A library worker looked around and found 22-year-old Alexa Mora with one leg in the air and the other spread in front of a laptop with a cell phone pointed at her crotch. Okay. Okay, There you go. She was asked to leave immediately, Mm -hmm. which she did without incident, saying only, oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> in March oh I'm, guess, I'm not supposed to do that I guess when you're that's photo- totally oh. when you hear this that's totally it yeah. in March the story went viral uh-huh. and more than 50 sexually charged videos were found featuring Mora some three hours long most shot from study desks at the Riverside and Fountain Blue library branches as unsuspecting people including children went about their business nearby mm-hmm. right so she's an exhibitionist uh, well, she maybe was, she just needed. She wanted to do her website, and she just didn't have the equipment at home. The facilities. She was actually yeah. uh, streaming them for money on my free cams. Okay. Uh, right. Which, uh, when this went public, I, I will note that they fired her because they have laws against public performances. So right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the, how good they are about that. If it's just well, when you get caught, we'll fire you. But right. they have a rule against that. Got it. During one video, Mora exposes her genital area and is seen to be masturbating. She borrows a pen from an unsuspecting man behind her and uses it as part of her sexual performance, placing it between her exposed breasts and at one point inserting the pen into her vagina while masturbating in a sexual manner, as opposed to masturbating in a non-sexual manner. And then gives back the pen. To the guy she borrowed it from. Uh, it's possible. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't watched well, the video. borrowed the pen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, that, there's half the transaction. There is the borrowing and the giving back. There's, some of these videos are still on the internet. Yeah. You can kind of find them. Yeah. There uh, you go. After going viral and the police began investigating, Mora turned herself in and pled guilty to committing an indecent act. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Ontario Court Justice called Mora's act vile and noted that children Ooh, could have seen her. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. He said that Maura should have more respect for herself and her community. She did not address the court when given the opportunity. She claims to have made about $1,500 via streaming site MyFreeCams. Okay. Yeah. All all uh, gone in legal fees. What were her, uh, what was was her uh, penance? Uh, Her penance was, uh, she was sentenced to 12 months probation, during which time she may not enter a public library in Windsor or Essex County. She was also fined $250 and must submit her DNA to a national registry. (laughs) Um, 
That's so amazing. It is. Right. So when you read about this, like it really was that she was doing this like a lot, like 50 videos, some three hours right. long and multiple branches. And like she's you can see some of, of the videos, like she's yeah. full on playing with herself, like full view of the camera. Oh my God, you watch the videos, oh, Joe? Oh, I've well, I watched Outrageous. some so I could see how far it went. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's not unattractive. So she's doing this for a long time. And didn't seem to have any idea whatsoever that she shouldn't be doing it because kind of the instant that it went viral, she was like, oh, yeah, that's oh. wrong. And went to the to the police and was like, I did it. Well, I'm going to plead guilty. Yeah. And oh, my God, I'm never going to do it again. I, you know, I think uh, I think there's a there's a thrill element here. Like perhaps she started out doing it just uh, think? for a lark do you and think? then decided, hey, maybe I can make some money at this. Do you think the punishment fit the crime? Uh, she should have had community service uh, making uh, clothes. <laughs> she had a community service. Cover up. Yeah. Cover that, up your shame. That's right. That's right. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, not skirts, but skorts, right? Or maybe. You know, and uh, and underwear. She had to, like, uh, you know, manufacture underwear for underprivileged children. And 50 hours of cleaning pens. Oh, and. and Sanitizing pens. And Windexing uh, chairs and libraries. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that was my thing. Like at first, when I was like, "Well, maybe she's kind of out of the way, and no kids are getting her, and if an adult sees it, I don't really care if an adult sees somebody's boobs or something." Yeah. But then I was like, "Yeah, but is she like spraying down those locations like it like at a gym afterwards? No, she's no, not. She's no. like leaving her bits everywhere, and that's just really which is why really she's in the wrong. DNA registry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All puddles must now be <laughs> compared. <laughs> Wait, whose puddle is this? Check the registry. <laughs> Check the registry. That's right. You can't leave your puddle anywhere after yeah. that happens. Mm-hmm. Ruined all the puddle making for everybody. Uh, and a quick related story from March of 2013 in Racine, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrese S. Carter has been accused of openly masturbating in the Racine Public Library. A witness told investigators Carter was out in the open, not trying to conceal the act. Right. The criminal complaint says he apologized to responding police officers. His signature bond was set at $1,000. And here's the great bit. As a condition of his bond, he was told to, quote, Stay out of all the libraries on the face of the earth. Oh, there you go. Mm. Moon libraries, a okay. Yeah, there you go. Moon libraries, just Mars fun. libraries. Yeah, Jupiter libraries. Yeah, yeah. I just love that a guy had been banned from all libraries on the face of the earth, not by all the libraries Ooh, agreeing. Sadly. What about under the earth? Subterranean. Subterranean libraries. libraries? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, that, well, that's where all the masturbating happens anyway. Normally, <laughs> yeah. the underground libraries. Yeah. There. <laughs> you will. He will fit right in. <laughs> The Dewey Decimal System has shame listed in the 500s. <laughs> October 2015, Morton, Illinois. Morton! Morton, <laughs> Illinois! 19-year-old Dustin Brown said he'd been planning to kill people and then himself for two weeks. Okay. With two knives in his backpack, their handles wrapped in tape for better grip, he entered the Morton Public Library. Mm-hmm. Brown, free on bond while facing prosecution charges of possessing child pornography, oh, of course. said he wanted the children to die. Oh, Okay, this is a real class act, this one. Yeah. A room full of children enjoying a homeschool chess club meeting drew his focus and anger. He actually ran into the room yelling, I'm going to kill some people. He was holding two knives. Yeah. Yeah. That's a kind of dead giveaway. Wait, what are you here for again? Yeah. I'm going to kill some people. I don't know that book. chess. Yeah. I don't know that book. Check in the... Check in the murder system. Yeah, how about uh, everybody poops? That's the one. That's a good one. <laughs> there you go. That's one everybody likes. The children ages 7 to 13 scurried under tables as 75-year-old chess instructor oh. and army vet oh. James ah. Vernon stood before Brown. Oh, I like this guy. 
Yeah, I tried to talk to him. I tried to settle him down, mm-hmm. Vernon said. I didn't, but I did deflect his attention and calmed him a bit. Mm-hmm. I asked him if he was from Morton. Did he go to high school? I asked what his problem was. Mm-hmm. He said his life sucks. That's a quote. All right, there you go. As Vernon spoke, he stepped closer to Brown. He backed away when I'd get closer. With the few steps, Vernon put himself between Brown and the room's door with the children under the tables behind him. Mm-hmm. Vernon said he remembered the knife fight training the army gave him five decades ago. Mm-hmm. Of course he does. Although He's like this, riding a bike. Yeah. You never forget your knife fight training. Oh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I got it down pat. I got it locked in. Give, Although, me, a knife. Give me a knife. I'll prove it to you right now. Give me a knife. Huh? I uh, have this no, masturbated no. pen. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> has no, it, has it been sharpened on your little, on your sharpening penis? Unfortunately, a little too slippery. A little too slippery. <laughs> not enough grip. I knew he was right-handed. He was whittling on his left arm. Uh-huh. With that one Whittling? hand. Whittling? Yeah. He was making small cuts. He was trying to scare me, and he did. Right. Mm. But if Brown attacked, he said, I knew which hand it was coming from. First rule of combat, be fast and vigorous, said Vernon, who was trained but never served in combat. Also, the first rule of masturbating. Yes, yeah. fast and vigorous. <laughs> fast and vigorous. Yeah. The attack came with a sudden slash. Vernon threw up an arm in defense, taking cuts to two arteries in his hand and oh, wrist. Oh, no. Well, yeah. I grabbed him and threw. Somehow, he wound up on a table with the knife in his left hand pinned under his body. I hit him on the right collarbone with my closed hand until Brown, his arm numbed by the blows, dropped that knife. Yeah. Vernon, bleeding pretty good, mm-hmm. held him until a library employee arrived to remove the knives and help keep Brown pinned until police officers and paramedics arrived. Oh, yeah, yeah. get some bandages out of the med- medical section. Yeah, yeah. Got, yeah that's right. Get a book, get a reference. How do we stop the bleeding? Vernon recovered from surgery for his wounds. Mm, good times. I like this guy. Yeah, yeah. I like the fact he's both chess instructor and army vet. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if he was a chess instructor for the army. Uh, Ooh, st- strategy. Ooh, yeah. strategy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to come at him. You got to go in a T shape, yeah. an L shape when That's you're right. attacking That's the That's right. Your tanks can queen. only move two forward and one over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, but it goes to stages, right? You start out playing Stratego and you work your way up to chess. Right? I guess. Right? The privates, yeah. you know. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the privates start with Stratego. Corporals and sergeants are working on risk. Yeah. Right? And then you work your way up to chess for generals. Pop culture? Pop culture. So we've got a whole lot of librarians to mention. Uh, mm-hmm. If I don't mention the librarian at the Unseen mm-hmm. University Library in the Discworld series, people uh-huh. are going to throttle me. I can't believe you didn't mention Who that. will throttle you? Uh, mm-hmm. Much like the library at Hogwarts, which I'm also just going to mention, the right. Unseen University's library is chiefly exciting for its shelves upon shelves of magical volumes. Uh-huh. Oh, and also for its librarian, who happens to be an orangutan. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. Orangutan. Orangutan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure, he was once a man, but found that being an orangutan was pretty useful for a librarian. Right. He has pledged to enforce three rules. Okay. One, silence. Uh-huh. Two, bananas. Two, books must be returned no later than the last date shown. Uh-huh. And three, do not meddle with the nature of causality. Okay. Obviously, the second rule is the most important. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also got and to by metal of co- uh, do not meddle with causality. That he means like the precious metals that you leave behind in order to take the book out. Right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Do not, yeah. Do do not, not meddle with them. Yeah. Do not trade for precious metals mm-hmm. for causality, because mm-hmm. then the whole universe will just snap unravel. out on itself. Yeah, yeah and unravel mm-hmm. with uh, the weight of all those precious metals. <laughs> Doctor Who season four episode eight: Silence in the Library. Shh. Doctor Who. Yeah. 
It's a pretty major episode. Sets up the whole River Song thing. It's the first episode that River, River Song. River Song. That's a person. River Song is a recurring character in Doctor Who. Wait, yep. who's the Doctor Who in question? The actor. Uh, that would be the tenth Doctor, David Tennant. David Tennant. In this right. episode, and the uh, uh, AKA Kilgrave. Yep. Yeah, it plays Kilgrave in the excellent Jessica Jones yep. uh, series. The thing about River Song, for those who haven't heard this yet, spoilers, I'm totally sorry, I'm going to ruin this for you if you yep. haven't been watching it already, is Kevin, that plug your ears. When, <laughs> when the doctor meets her, he meets her first in his uh, timeline in this episode, Silence in the Library, in the season library. four. Mm-hmm. She knows him really, really well in this episode. Right. Well, she knows him. She doesn't tell him, but you find out in later episodes because she's basically meeting him backwards in time. That first time that he met her, she had met him many, many times before and actually been on adventures that we would then see already. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's kind of cool to go back and watch The Silence in the Library. Uh, What The Silence in the Library is, it's a huge, there's a huge world spanning library that contains all the information and it actually backed up a whole bunch of people's brains in their computer and some people start dying and stuff Until happens. jihad is coming. But it's basically got, the cool destroyed. thing about it is it has an entire planet library. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Planet library. It's a, uh, the, the, the thing they tried right before Planet Hollywood. It also failed. <laughs> planet library. <laughs> no, I like libraries. Come on. Uh, but all the waitresses were hot librarians. Hmm. Dewey would have loved it there. Except he hated chicken wings. Too Jewish. <laughs> Too Jewish, those chicken wings. Yes. Uh, right. The Breakfast Club takes place in a school library. Of sure. course it does. Yeah. Uh, Nobody opens a book, though. It doesn't really... It doesn't, they they, they kind of... study, right? No, it's they not, don't. They don't actually study hall, it's right? It's true. Like, it would have it been a very different movie if uh, somebody just broke out some books and like, all right, let's get into history. Yeah. yeah. Director John Hughes wanted the detention area to take place in a library, but the school that they were shooting in uh, had a library that was too small, mm-hmm. so they actually built the library set in the school's gym. Oh, okay. Weird. Yeah. And huh. at the end of the film, at the end of the filming, John Hughes gave each actor a piece of the library's banister as a present. Oh, okay. Very weird. So they've all got that. That's kind of cool. That's not weird. That's kind of cool. Weird. It would be weird if somebody like used a piece of the banister to like beat their spouse to death or something. Like, oh like, some Hollywood scandal. <laughs> uh, right? We're going to have a follow-up now. <laughs> what do you, I can understand giving a book. What do you do with the banister? Well, the books probably had to go to the rental house. The banister came from the construction department. That's what you can do. <laughs> Here's Kevin with his practical gifts. Yeah, you, 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 <laughs> you can't buy books, Torin. Come on, no, man. You don't, you don't buy books just throw in a set. Probably all fake. They're probably all like just like you know. All they're all spines. There's no actual books on the shelves. Give them a desk. Give them one of those kid yeah. desks with a little thing that the little. They can't. How can they? They can't put it in their luggage and take it home with them. They can take a banister home. Double piece well, of they, banister. Well, they, they cut the banners and it's probably mounted on like a little display thing, oh, and it's like oh, this is the banister from the library and the Breakfast Club. I'm and gonna hit you with a banister pretty soon. I poo poo it. Sense to you. All right. You don't. You wouldn't take. A piece of banister for the Breakfast Club set? No. Oh, you're so a better man than I am. Dumb. Mm-hmm. I'd take some breakfast. <laughs> I'd take a give club. Me some breakfast. I'd take I'd have the club. I'd take the breakfast. Give me the breakfast. Okay. Bada boom, bada bing. That was actually the original script. It was called Breakfast Club because everyone was in the uh, study hall eating breakfast, and then the uh, principal came around and hit club everybody yeah. with the club. Yeah. And uh, it was. Just uh, test audiences didn't like it. Said to be yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> didn't care for it one a lot, bit. A lot of nonviolent reshoots. Yeah. I, I thought the club was like a giant biscotti. A biscotti is a club? No. All right. Breakfast club. Mm, sure. 
the breakfast club sandwich. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you go. I'll, I'll have one of them right now. I'm kind of peckish. It's got like uh, turkey and bacon and uh, fried egg. And regret. Know, and regret. Mm-hmm. Always regret. Yeah. <laughs> the first ghost that appears in the first Ghostbusters movie mm-hmm. appears in a library. I actually have some trivia about all that stuff there. Mm-hmm. The special effect for the early part in the movie where the catalog drawers open and the cards flying out was created by prop workers who were hidden behind a stage setting made to look like part of the library. Mm-hmm. Right. The drawers were pushed open from the back and the cards were blown out via copper piping. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. When Alice the librarian is queried as to whether anyone in her family has ever had any history of mental illness, she replies she had an uncle who thought he was St. Jerome. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Jerome is the patron saint of libraries. There you go. Of course he is. Right. And also when interviewing Alice the librarian, Peter at one point asks if she is currently menstruating, to which the shocked head librarian asks, what does that have to do with anything? And Peter, Peter famously replies, back off, man. I'm a scientist. <laughs> From both a psychological, and this note makes me laugh, a parapsychological standpoint, it's a valid question. In parapsychology, there's some correlation between menstrual cycles and latent telekinetic powers. <coughs> Bullshit. Uh, and from the psychology side, Alice, an older woman, may have been going through menopause, mm-hmm. which is in very rare cases causes psychotic breaks or blackout periods. In context, Peter was determining if Alice might have actually caused the disturbance herself, either physically or through psychic powers. Mm-hmm. Right. Got so it. it was a good science question. Mm-hmm. And you should back off. In the H.P. Lovecraft mythology, the Cthulhu mythos, if you will, uh-huh. there is uh, the great race of Yith. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, they uh, they are related somehow to the great race of no? Uh, yes, they are. They yeah. absolutely are. Yeah. They're related to the great race of no. <laughs> okay, got it. Who came to Earth via mental powers okay. from Yith being, being another planet somewhere out there? Mm-hmm. Got it. And they put their minds into uh, a race that existed on Earth that were cone-shaped creatures. Yes. Oh. Yes. With Ice cream cone shaped. So yep. those yiths I'm used to looking at are not actually what yiths look like? That's right. Oh. Aha. Tricksters. And their deal was they were collectors of knowledge. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the way they collected knowledge was they would project their brains to other points in history. Mm-hmm. Like, uh-huh. So they would, one in the story, The Shadow of Time by H.P. Lovecraft, is yeah. a story of some guy who has his brain supplanted by the great race of yith. So the great race of yith is basically in his body... Uh, trying to find out as much as the Yithian can about modern, modern being the 1920s when H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft mm-hmm. wrote it, right. or 1930s era. Meanwhile, the dude's brain was back in ancient Earth history in the city of Yith, right. in the Yithian city. Uh-huh. And uh, he was allowed to go into the Great Races Library. Like, like just floating around? No, it was in the Yithian body. The, oh, they, the they, swa- they, oh, they swap. They swap minds. Yeah. Okay. The the conical body they'd already. Yeah. So taken he them. was, of course, horrified to find out that he's in this monstrous body. <laughs> yeah. But eventually, he was allowed to leave his cell and and study and go access this library. Okay. Yeah. So and they're what not find out? exactly bad guys. Then they're scientists. They're scientists. But uh, when they would send you back, when they mm-hmm. were done with you, mm-hmm. they would you know erase your memory or whatever <laughs> but of course you would get hints of it in dreams so that's how the right. that's how the story started right uh the shadow out of time was the hp lovecraft story the shadow out of tim was the darkest of the hillside thickets concept album based on the shadow of time uh the protagonist being marine biologist timothy vess that's Got the it. shadow out of tim uh-huh uh-huh yeah but he still couldn't get around that itunes uh agreement the iTunes agreement? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, in that library, you got to like read the uh, read the forms oh, before you can like access the uh, <laughs> yeah, catalog. Yeah, yeah. got to agree. Uh, has anybody read the Sandman comics by Neil Gaiman? 
I've read some of them. Lucian is Dream's librarian. He takes care of an enormous library of books that were never written. Because it's the Dream Library, right? So every single person out there who's like, oh, man, I should write that book, Lucian's got that book in his library. And there's a pretty interesting bit when uh, this information is first revealed because he's actually talking to, quote, a dreamer. Mm -hmm. And the dreamer is basically the perspective of the person reading the comic. So it's Lucian talking to you going, oh, yeah, that dumb book you never wrote is totally here. Oh, Uh, He's basically calling people out for not writing the books that they should be writing. Passive aggressive jerk. I gotta yeah, get there. Kinda. I gotta get there. Check out that big book of boobs. The big book of boobs. Yeah, yeah. That book that you wrote is in there. Uh-huh. All you gotta do is go to sleep. Sweet sleep. <laughs> it's a dream come true. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back. When the week is new And we'll have more gross facts for you And you'll have things you'll want to hear about We will too Caustic Soda was recorded at the Vancouver Public Library's Inspiration Lab by Mike Leeson while literally being turned inside out. To comment on episodes and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Support us at patreon.com slash causticsoda. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm Joe Fulgham. Thanks for listening. Uh...